Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I'm joined by comedian Ed Gamble. Not just comedian, uh, but metalhead. And uh, needless to say, we go in on some uh, some some noisy racket. And it's a wonderful chat. And before we get on with that chat, just uh, a few thank yous. Thank you to Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Thank you to 76 for producing this podcast. And if you enjoy this um, and you'd like to hear more, when you finish listening to uh, this episode, why not go and have a a rummage in the archives because you'll have access to about 180 music chats uh, with the likes of uh, Ed's partnering crime on Off Menu. I sat and spoke to James A. Caster at the beginning of of lockdown. Um, And if you like your metal, you can hear me chatting to um, Troy of um, Masterdon um, and Killer Be Killed. Uh, You can hear me chatting to Radio 1's Dan P. Carter. Uh, You can hear me talking to Deftones. I'm just trying to think. And if you just like comedians, then uh, there's some amazing chats from Jade Adams, who I believe we mentioned on this podcast, James, Rich Wilson, Reese James. Um, gosh, there's a load more. Um, go and have a rummage. I'm not going to keep listing them all. Go and have a rummage and, uh, and see what you can find that tickles your fancy. Um, and if that's not enough, then I also have a Patreon page that accompanies this podcast. So you can head over there and get access to four weekly radio shows um, and video episodes and all sorts of stuff over there. And you can find out about all of this stuff at www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. Back to business. Please enjoy today's episode with the wonderful Ed Gamble. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Right, we're recording. Joining me today via Zoom, Ed Gamble. Hello. Hello, how are you? Uh, I'm all right, thank you. I'm all right. We've had a quick catch-up. I've not seen you since since the Distraction Pieces drunk cast. Was that the last yeah. time we spoke? Yeah, I believe so, and I, I'm still hungover from that. <laughs> Well, um, it's been a, a fair few months. That was relatively soon into lockdown, I think we recorded that. So how have you found the last sort of six months, Ed, personally uh, and professionally? Oh, I, d- I mean, oh, I don't know. Fine, I guess. Like, I think everyone says it, but, you know, you always think about people who are in much worse situations than you are. Uh, and it's it's kind of it's kind of been okay. I've been very lucky in that you know, I get to do things like this quite a lot. And I've got, you know, I was doing a music podcast in the first lockdown where I was getting to interview metal musicians uh, over Zoom. Uh, and then I'm doing the Taskmaster podcast at the moment, which means I get to interview people over Zoom. So I've always got things going on and then off menu podcast as well. And I do a show on Radio X. So it's sort of, I had enough outside of the world of live comedy to keep my mind occupied uh so yeah i th- i'd worry if it was just just gigs because as soon as you get that crutch kicked away then it's pretty depressing but um i mean i'm looking forward to things getting back to normal on that front and they will do one day uh but at the moment i've got en- i think i've got enough going on to keep the old brain ticking over wonderful well one of the things that i guess a lot of people have lent on uh during lockdown as a, as a nice pleasant distraction uh is to indulge themselves in some music and and i guess a lot of people have probably been reflective as well so uh for the next however long uh ed 
uh, I'm going to uh, get you to get reflective and uh, and talk about records, right? Great, sounds good to me. Right, track one, Ed, the song with the greatest ever intro. I I mean, look, anytime anyone asks me anything music based or uh, any opportunity to present your personality through the art that you enjoy is always is always a worrying thing for me to decide because you want to look cool. And, and I don't know how many people admit that on this podcast, but you do, you do want to look cool. What I should say is um, on episode two was uh, Russell from block party uh, who just threw it out there for track three, the uh, no track four, I think it was the first record he, uh, he bought was stilt skin. And I just thought there's the benchmark. No one's got to be cool yeah. on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he's really cool anyway. Right. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. So he's working, he's working in sort of, you know, he's got credit there anyway. <laughs> he can afford to go a bit overdrawn on, okay. on coolness. Whereas, okay. you know, I'm, I'm very much, I'm on the breadline when it comes to street cred. <laughs> um so you know and and often like because i like i mean we'll get into it but you know i I really like metal music so uh i think that's cool and not a lot of other people do but i still try and dig down and find something quite interesting and sort of something that sounds quite obscure but anyway this is all leading me to the fact that i think the best intro ever is uh you took the words right out of my mouth by meatloaf (laughs) i mean Oh, I mean that's fine. I'm not. I'm not judging look, you. Look, look. I've gone in big. All right. Now yeah. I know that if you don't like meatloaf, you really don't like meatloaf. And if you like meatloaf, you fucking love meatloaf. Are, are you? Are you a big fan? Look, I. I think Bat Out of Hell is one of the best albums of all time. Uh, I think he's absolutely amazing. I love. I, I think, but it links to me enjoying sort of ridiculous heavy metal at the same time because it's not metal as such, but the sort of operatic pomp of it. Uh, I'm really on board with. And I like anyone who throws themselves into what they do and he goes for it. I I spoke to someone in, uh, have have you heard of the kind of rock metal kind of theatrical band called Creeper? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're very very good. So I had Will on um, uh, this podcast. No, he came on the Hardcore Listing podcast uh, that that, that you kindly give your time up for as well, Ed. Um, and he done his. He chose top five Jim Steinman moments. Amazing, yeah. Uh, which I knew uh, is Jim Steinman, isn't it? I'm correct. Yes, there. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, who, who, for people that may not know, was was the, the, the songwriting partner of Meatloaf that kind of put together the the Bat Out of Hell, you know, albums and and, and such. Uh, did not realise just how much other overblown, huge sounding, you know, glamour. Yeah, rock metal crossover records he'd made, and Celine Dion, and that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, what is it you like about the intro uh, to that, Ed? It's amazing. It's so ridiculous that that whole di- the idea of having ex- an extended dialogue piece as an intro to a track. Uh, I think is absolutely brilliant, and I bet you say that to all the boys, and then kicking in kicking in with such a huge tune. It gets me excited every single time I hear it. It's ridiculous. It's gothy, but not fully understanding what goth is. It's like the sort of rope. It's heavy handed romance. Uh, And I think it's completely over the top. I think it's completely tongue in cheek. And I think it's brilliant. Well, you know, your, your love affair with, with metal, I'm sure we're going to talk about throughout a lot of uh, this, this podcast. And, I first met you outside uh, the British Podcast Awards. I was there with Pip, and he he, he was like, "This is this is Ed." Say hi. I was like, "Hey, Ed, how you doing?" <laughs> uh, and then on the way home, we was we was chatting, and uh, and you come into the conversation, and he was like, "Yeah, Ed's like a massive metaler," and I was like, "Really?" <laughs> and, <he was> like, <laughs> and so the the one thing I want to ask is, is it something that you've kind of phased out as you, because you're a very well-dressed man. Every time I see you, you look like, you look very cool, Ed, you know? I like, I like clothes. Okay. You don't kind of go for textbook metal attire. No, because I don't, I mean, I, I love metal, but I don't feel the need to necessarily fit in with the look all of the time. Because okay. I think the the look of being a metalhead is basically not necessarily caring about what you wear. And it's band, it's band t-shirt, it's black jeans, and that's about it. And occasionally I do wear those things, but 
I also, I, I like thinking about what I wear and I like, I like bright colours. And I think those <laughs> things can... so not metal. <laughs> yeah, I know it's not, but I think those two things can coexist peacefully. Because also, metalheads will tell you that uh, metal's about not fitting in. It's about not going with the crowd. It's about rebelling against what people present as the norm. And then you wear a bright colour and they go, what, what are you doing? Why... <laughs> Why are you wearing exactly the same as everyone else? That's why my favourite guys at metal shows are the guys who've come straight from work and they're still in a, uh, a shirt and tie. It's like that. You fucking love the music. You've not even put a t-shirt on for this. I could just picture this like everybody at like Donington just going, "Fucking who's that, that beacon over there?" Like I said, Gamble. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to be fair i don't think like i think i'd wear a band t i wear a band t-shirts to gigs and festivals and stuff just to show i'm repping just to show that i'm there for a reason but i do i love i love bright colors okay. sue me okay <laughs> gonna take you back ed um for track two and the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact by on the you. way can i just say how i love how disgusted you were by the by the meatloaf <laughs> 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 absolutely absolutely disgusted weren't you oh okay yeah right all right <laughs> moving on you you've had no you've had no thoughts on it whatsoever you've not given your opinion on meatloaf you've just... I, do you know what? i don't actually have an issue with meatloaf uh, my introduction to meatloaf would have been rocky horror picture show and he's pretty yeah. he's pretty cool in that he's uh, cool all the time and then he was amazing in fight club yeah <laughs> I'm still swerving music, really, aren't I? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we seem to have sort of not not tackled what he's really best known for there. Yeah. Um, Bat Out have of you, Hell. When was, the, when was the last time you listened to Bat Out of Hell, the song or the album? I listened to the song because um, about four months ago, I had Frank Turner on. Yeah. Um, Frank Turner chose Bat Out of Hell and went... Uh, into it about how it's his go-to um, karaoke tune, and uh, and I thought that's quite an ambitious uh, yeah song well, to choose, and you're up there for a while. I did uh, the show a musical, which is a live Jade's uh, one, a live Jade's one. Uh, Jade Adams and Kerry Pritchard McLean uh, and Dave Cribb do a show called a musical, which is comedians singing songs from musicals. Uh, and I've done it a few times, but um, the time that it was most memorable was at the McCuntleth Comedy Festival, and I did Bat Out of Hell, because it's technically from the musical Bat Out of Hell, yeah. um, which is brilliant musically, as you can imagine, uh, and it story-wise is one of the worst pieces of shit I've ever seen. But <laughs> if these things ever come back and you get a chance to go and see it, I'd say three pints beforehand and it's the best night of your life. Um, so I did, I did Bat Out of Hell, the full, I think, nine-minute version, and the band had to learn it. Uh, and four minutes in, there's a bit where it sounds like it's finished, uh, and all the audience started applauding, and I was down on the floor because I was pretending I'd been in a motorbike crash. Uh, and then I had to go, no, guys, please, we're not even halfway through yet. <laughs> strap in. <laughs> strap in. Do strap in. That's very much the message of the song as well, is strap in. <laughs> Oh, dear. Ed, what was the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you? Now, emotion is a broad church, of course. Emotions can be good. Emotions can be bad. Um, seeing as we're going with, I'm talking about my love of rock, I'm talking about my love of riffs uh, and aggressive music. My mum had a tape copy of Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction. Uh, and the song I remember hearing, listening to on my Walkman, was uh, It's So Easy, which is track two on Appetite for Destruction and has some great swearing in it. I, I remember that that giving me like a, oh, you're allowed to do this. That's exciting. And also it's just the drive on that track and the pace of that track is, it's such an exciting track to hear. And I think that's when I realised that I really liked loud, aggressive rock music. And what was the emotion? Uh, joy, excitement, um, not anger, but just like, I got chills. I wanted to jump up and down. I guess I guess the emotion was uh hmm it's it's difficult to put your finger on it, isn't it? Just I, I think it's excitement uh, and discovery that you've discovered a, a new a new type of thing that you know is going to unlock uh, a love for the rest of your life. If you used to shut your eyes and hear that song now, where would you where would you pitch yourself? Where's that take you? That memory? Uh, 
Well, so I was on holiday. We were on holiday, and we were in a hotel room. And I was—I can't even remember where we were on holiday, but I was on the balcony in this hotel room, and I was just sitting listening to that album over and over again because she had that tape that I stole, uh, and uh, a, the tape single of uh, Bohemian Rhapsody as well. Um, and then not a lot of other cool stuff. I don't know. She just sort of landed on that, and she likes Bowie as well. But but apart from that, it was like you know, recorded poems of Pam Ayers and things like that. But just for some reason in the middle is uh, is Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction. So was there music on at home, like, growing up? Was there a stereo in the house that had, like, music playing a lot? Not playing a lot, I'd say. Like, my mum my likes music, but is not a music obsessive like I am, but was a Bowie obsessive when she was growing up uh, and loved David Cassidy and people like that. So she's got all the old... I mean, I've stole them off her now, but, like first pressing of of bowie's albums and things like that like um so she she likes all that sort of thing but uh finds my music taste absolutely hilarious i think broadly <laughs> okay so where was home then ed southwest london okay uh w- wimbledon sort of near wimbledon I grew, I grew up around there fairly i mean boring boring and posh i'd say which is how i would describe myself as well um i am wimbledon in a man <laughs> um but yeah just uh yeah i went to a pretty posh school i think um and yeah i mean not not much exciting to say about where i grew up it's not a it's not an exciting backstory well, well let's talk school then hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Because um, for track three, I'm going to ask you about the song that reminds you of your time at school, please, Ed. I mean, again, I really try and be cool. Try and be cool about this. I suppose this is cool because it's the early days of new metal. Uh, but the track that most reminds me of school uh, is Limp Biscuit's cover of uh, Faith by George Michael. Uh, <laughs> again, a lovely little facial reaction from you there. No, no, I, I, I think that's a cracking cover. <laughs> it is a cracking cover, but it's also really dumb, isn't it? I mean, everything Limp Biscuit have ever done is so dumb. Uh, and Did people know it was that. dumb then? Uh no, because I don't think they did. So I don't. Well, certainly Fred Durst didn't. I think he still takes everything they did pretty seriously. Uh, Wes Borland, on the other hand, I think was always pissing about and still is. Um, but I don't think they realised it was dumb because people took that sort of thing seriously then. Like, so I, I really liked them on that album, which was their first album. Um, and then I kind of got a bit. I was like, oh, it's not really my sort. I like cooler metal actually. I like uh, louder, heavier stuff. Uh, when they started getting big, basically, on Significant Other. Um, but I had that uh, a live version of Faith on the Family Values Tour uh, VHS. So the Family Values Tour was Limp Bizkit, uh, Korn, Rammstein, and Orgy. 
who also did another very popular new metal cover of Blue Monday. That's right. Um, uh, and I watched the video for Faith, with them playing Faith live over and over again, uh, just because of the drop. Because there's no, there's absolutely no subtlety to that cover at all. It's probably quite, it's probably quite a bad cover musically because they just do a quiet bit and then suddenly they go and just do a massive riff. I mean, I was DJing, you know, I was DJing this in, in you know, rock clubs at this point as well. Uh, yeah. And at the time when Corn were, were coming through, I was playing Blind and stuff like that. And when you dropped Faith, like even if you weren't necessarily into new metal, that that song would whip up a dance floor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, I, I'm sure it still would. Yeah. Because it is a huge riff that it drops into. And because everyone knows the lyrics anyway from, yeah. from the George Michael version, uh, there, was a real, there was a real trend for that around the time of doing just the heaviest covers of the softest songs. And yeah. I think people probably still enjoy it. But I remember there was a band, I think, were they local? Or they were definitely a UK-based band called Ten Masked Men. Um, who were knocking around at the time as well, who all all they did was death metal covers of pop songs and they all wore balaclavas. Well, I mean, that's pretty impressive. I mean, it's a great name for a band and they yeah. literally done what they say on the tin, which yeah, is impressive. Exactly. <laughs> and were they doing the... Obviously, it wasn't just quite heavy covers of quite good pop songs. I imagine it was very extreme heavy covers of yeah. ridiculous pop songs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Amazing. exactly. They did like, I think they ended up doing like Sweet Like Chocolate and all of that sort of stuff. But <laughs> it was very like, they were just, all the music was just it, it, like down-tuned riffs and they were like, Sweet Like Chocolate Boy. Just ridiculous. But at the time, we loved it. Cool. We loved it. <laughs> I, I was school. Yeah, I mean, we finding that sort of music and everyone being into it because there was a time between i think probably 98 and 2000 where certainly in my school new metal was the cool thing to listen to like it what like now i think i don't think metal is the cool thing to listen to at all and it, pretty much after 2000 it sort of fell off and it was uk garage and drum and bass and you saw that change happening but for a little bit metal was the cool thing and i got into it then and then everyone else drifted off and found other cool things and i was like where, where are you going guys <laughs> where are you going i've just i want to talk about the new rob zombie album i've guys. just got tickets to 10 masked men <laughs> <laughs> but there were there were a few of us who hung on and i'm glad we did well i, I mean they've not hung on i'm still i'm i'm still the only one now did you did you know what you wanted to do when you was at school I knew I wanted to do something within the arts, in inverted commas, uh, I think, but I don't know whether that was driven by genuine love of it or realising it wouldn't feel like work and I was just quite lazy because I was quite reasonably lazy at school uh, in terms of academia, but I loved doing drama and things like that because it didn't, didn't feel like I was doing any you know, revision or work because it's actually quite fun. Um, so when I was doing drama and things like that, I thought I'd quite like to be an actor. That's what I thought. Um, and then I've since discovered that acting is really hard. Was you, really hard. Was you a confident kid, Ed? Yeah, I think so. I think I was pretty confident. I think you, you always have those those little moments where, uh, you know, you have little wobbles and stuff. But I went also, I'm, I'm one of these awful people. I went to an all-boys public day school in southwest london and those places breed confidence like they don't and uh, which to their detriment a lot of the time i think they (laughs) turn out some pretty awful people because of it um but i think i was pretty confident at school uh and yeah yeah i think i think i was and i was you know i wasn't i don't think i was bullied or anything like that really i was fairly popular and yeah what about drive? Because you know you're, you're, you work in an industry that's you know quite tough to excel to to, to 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 the place where you're at now. You know you've established yourself very much so in you know in in the British comedy scene. Like how, how driven you know are you as a person? Yeah, I think you have to be driven when you're starting out in comedy, certainly because well, it's it's like I was saying, it doesn't feel like you're being driven because you're actually enjoying it. So if at any point. I, I wasn't enjoying doing comedy in those first few years, then I wouldn't have got anywhere because if you're driving to gigs and then driving back at two in the morning, if you start thinking, well, this is fucking rubbish. Like, cause I'm, you're not making much money either at that point. And you're like, well, why then why am I doing this? Yeah. You're doing it cause you love it. You, you have to enjoy it. Otherwise. 
so the notion of drive i think is is lesser it's it's less important than the notion of just enjoying it um and now you know I'm in a lucky position where people ask me to do stuff and, you know, I don't necessarily have to drive back from places at two o'clock in the morning. So you kind of, and I still enjoy it, but you don't need that proper get up and go that you need at the beginning. And and then things you're being asked to do now, you know, there's a lot of eyes on, on what you do now. And, and I just wondered, you know, for, for in the creative industries, do you, do you ever, do you, I like to ask most guests this: Do you ever sort of suffer from imposter syndrome? Do you ever do you ever get that feeling? Yeah, every, every time I do a new type of thing, really. Yeah, one hundred percent. Like anytime it's a new environment, because there's always like you know when I started doing telly, or even when I so I start doing stand up, you do like I was doing gigs at uni and I was doing comedy at uni, and that you didn't feel it there because. You're, it's all your mates and you're all trying things out for the first time. Yeah. Then you go and do gigs at professional stand-up clubs and straight away you're like, well, I'm not good enough to be here. Look, all these people are incredible. Like, uh, I'm, And I've not really thought about my stuff and oh God. And then you realise that everyone feels exactly the same and you know everyone's just working towards it. And then telly, you feel like that immediately because it's a new environment uh, and you do bigger and bigger gigs with more and more famous comedians and you just, yeah. I think you just need to get used to new environments and don't and don't let it sort of perturb you to the to the extent you don't come back. But yeah, it always get imposter sy- syndrome. Yeah. Track four, Ed. The first song you remember buying from a record shop. Now this is actually cool. For a okay. first song, this is actually cool. Uh, I made my mum buy this. Not cool, but uh, it was a, a single CD single. Was it a tape? Anyway, it was a single of uh, Young Livers by Rocket from the Crypt. Oh, that's a great record. It's such a good record. And I, st- I still listen to it now. I, I occasionally I'll just remember, I don't remember that song. That whole album's great, the Scream Dracula Scream album. Um, but they were like kind of popular for a bit, right? Which is so weird for a sort of surf, gothy looking surf punk band. But they, I mean, it was interesting that you bought that track because that followed. On a rope, I believe. Yeah, and on a rope yeah. was, you know, I, I guess a commercial hit, you know, yeah. uh, in in the realms of alternative guitar music, and and it was a stonking signal, an absolute mm-hmm. belter, and and Young Livers is great, and yeah, I mean, I you, you say they were an unlikely looking band, but they they I thought they looked, I mean. They looked great. The press got hold of them because they looked quite different yeah. from everything else that was going on. They looked like kind of, you know, kind of like rockabillies and they had like all, you know, loads of kind of quiffs and, and they, yeah. they just looked like a cool bunch of fellas, I thought. Yeah. I, I guess it was sort of a prelude to things like the Strokes and uh, the Horrors and all of the, all of those bands coming through. Um, but yeah, I only bought that because... I listened to it on a listening post in Virgin Megastore, which is how I ended up buying quite a lot of my music. I'd hear something on a listening post. I'd go, that's really cool. And then get my mum to buy it or I'd buy it with my pocket money. And that's what I did with Rocket from the Crypt. It's such a sort of unlikely thing for me to buy as a child. But uh, no, I loved it. I still love it now. I stand by that. I was a cool kid. There's a big stack of vinyl behind you at the moment. There is. Um, And so whilst talking record shops, like how important you know, as you was growing up, the record shops become, and, and how important are they for you now? Hugely important when I was growing up. Like, that would be, if I went went into town with friends on a on a Saturday or a Sunday, we'd pretty much just hang out in Virgin Megastore in Centre Court Shopping Centre in Wimbledon, um, or more likely CD Warehouse, which I think was a more independent place down on Wimbledon High Street. And the good thing about CD Warehouse is if you just went and found what you wanted, you take it to the counter and say, can I listen to this? And then they just, they let you stand at a CD player with headphones on listening to it. And I used to listen to whole albums. So I'd spend like days in there, just, (laughs) just grabbing as many CDs as I wanted to listen to and testing things out. And that's when, that's when I really got into metal when I was like finding even heavier stuff. So I was already into Limp Bizkit and Korn and System of a Down and bands like that. Um, but there's sort of no other way of hearing stuff other than actually going to record stores and finding it and listening to it. So that's when I got into, I remember hearing Fear Factory there for the first time and thinking, fucking hell, what is this? Uh, I think it's so much easier with the internet, isn't it? So, but, yeah, um, I was going to say, back then, was you 
buying like Kerrang and Metal Hammer and things like that? And was you kind of getting turned on the new bands via that and then marching down yeah. to the record shop and, and checking them? For sure. For sure. Yeah, it was Kerrang and Metal Hammer. And then occasionally like you'd get like a free CD on the front of those uh, and, you know, one track would just like sell you on a band. Um, but yeah, quite often it was that and go and listen to them or I'd read a review and just go and buy the album without ever hearing it, which backfired a few times yeah. um, but they were so important those reviews in in those magazines i think especially kerrang i sort of metal hammer was a bit later for me but yeah kerrang especially it's so weird you mentioned like that the cover man cds because that's never come up on this podcast yet and and they were so important you know yeah especially you know, i'd buy music magazines if they were you know music mags i wouldn't normally buy if i saw a cover man i'd be thinking can't you get a lot of bang for your buck here i'll buy that yeah and you would always find there'd be some shit on there but you would always find a little gem and and you know Definitely. i guess it would turn you on to to other things and then you could go and explore them bands like that's, that's i don't know why that's not come up on this podcast so far it's so, so yeah important. i used to it got it got me into so many bands it really did and also that they, they would be like on the track that would lead the CD would often be like a band releasing a song before the album came out. Yeah. So rather than it being a single, so now people drop singles, you know, online and you can stream them before the album comes out and it gives you an idea of what it's going to be like. But I remember in Limp Bizkit, again, put break, would break stuff from the second album on, on a CD on the front of Kerrang. And that was huge because we were like, Oh, there's a new Limp Bizkit and that's the only place you could hear it. Um, yeah, I used to love it. And CD Warehouse, yeah, I just used to st- stomp around there all day listening to stuff. But now I, uh, I mean, it's a shame, isn't it? Because there's less and less sort of local record stores to to go and do that. So I end up pre-ordering a lot of stuff on bands' websites or buying vinyl off Bandcamp as well. Uh, and then, but a lot of this stuff is from, I had a job where I traveled around America for a bit and we were in California a lot and I would go to Amoeba Records and just, and bring back an extra suitcase full of vinyl. Wonderful. Moving forwards to your years clubbing for track five, the song that soundtrack your years clubbing, Ed. Now my years, I mean, my years clubbing is, I'm not, that's not really me. Well, we, we mean this, this obviously is a loose term that does also cover sweaty indie rock clubs and metal nights. Uh, yeah, sure. Like but I don't, I don't even think I went to a lot of those, you know, because like I say, by the time I was like, even uh, like from the age of 15, none of my friends listened to the same music as me after that. Right. So it wasn't like we were going, oh, come on, where, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go tonight? When we were like 17, 18. Because they all got into like drum and bass and garage and then indie, like the big noughties indie mm. thing, like proper enemy, you know, strokes and all of that. And I hated that. I hated that. It was the antithesis of everything I was about. Have you gone it, back? No, not can you, really. Can you I deal do, with it now. I can deal with it now. I do a show on Radio X. I have to deal with it now. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I mean, like the strokes are fine. Um, I mean, I'm going to get fired for saying this. Uh, <laughs> the strokes I can deal with. Arctic Monkeys I can deal with. I guess they were a little bit later anyway. Um, I like that first Arctic Monkeys album. It's good. Um, but no, I just, at the time, I think I was willfully against it because it, it wasn't metal and it was sort of not, it was just like people being cool and loose and laid back. And that's, that's not what you need with metal. You need to rip the sleeves off your denim jacket and you need to sing loud. Um, and I couldn't, no, I couldn't be dealing with all of that. Um, so we, so we occasionally I'd go to clubs with them, like indie nights with them, but if you can't sing along, what's the point? And totally. I, you know, yeah, but, but I have picked a song because occasionally you'd go to an indie night and they wouldn't be playing anything that you enjoyed until they played Killing in the Name. Because I think it doesn't matter what you're playing the rest of the night. I think you can drop Killing in the Name and everyone will be on board with it. I remember being in, in a club in Newquay, which was like a cheese night. And then they would play "Killing at the Name," "Killing the Name" at the end of the night, and everyone singing along, including the bouncers who haven't cracked a smile all night. I mean, let's talk about that record because it's incredible, right? And that's thirty years old. Uh, I think it's twenty-eight. I think it's the twenty-eighth anniversary of that album right. this year, so it's knocking on thirty years old. Yeah. 
I heard that uh, a, a venue called the Gas Club in London uh, before it come out, and I went to uh, an independent record shop in South End and ordered it. And I'm not saying I was the first person to play that in the clubs of Essex, but I remember playing that. And it's very rare that you play a record for the first time in a club and you get a lot of people going, what's this? Yeah. But, you know, this is at a time when I've been playing, I guess, at that point, Faith No More was kind of the the heaviest thing that you was getting in some of the sort of alternative nights. You're still sort of rinsing the cult and things like that. But that, even if you're talking your public enemy and anthrax and stuff like that, it still didn't hit the level that killing yeah. the name did. And I think, I mean, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. We still play that every week in our club. Yeah. Uh, and, and and so you should. And, <laughs> and there's 18 year old kids screaming them words still. Yeah. And that song still sounds as urgent, as vital, as huge as it did then. I don't think yeah. it's aged in any way, shape or form. No, I, I completely agree. I mean, I, I remember it was probably the last night of the Edinburgh festival in 2018. Uh, we all went out and uh, Felicity Ward, brilliant comedian was DJing uh, in the Gilded Balloon uh, as a big sort of end of festival party. And it was rammed in this room and she dropped that and I fucking lost it. <laughs> I went mad. I mean, everyone was going mad anyway in general all night because it's such an intense experience, the Edinburgh Festival. And then when it's done, you just let off so much steam. But I was on stage screaming into the audience. <laughs> A few baffled faces, I suspect, but I was absabsolutely losing my mind. Oh, man, what... What a track. What an album. It's not even my favourite track on that album, but in terms of songs to drop in a club, I think it's... Have you seen any um, of those YouTube reaction videos of people listening to Rage Against the Machine for the first time? No, but tell me more. Oh, it's a whole genre that you've got to check out. You'll go down a complete YouTube rabbit hole with it. It's... uh, Yeah, it's, it's, it's what I said. It's people listening to Rage Against the Machine for the first time. It's often, like, rap fans... So uh, people who don't normally listen to rock music or haven't heard of Rage Against the Machine before, younger rap fans, uh, just listening to that song and the lyrical content and then also Zach Delaroche's flow, the, the fact that he can actually rap and he's got such an amazing tone, um, which is, you know, we've already spoken about Fred Durst. I love him to bits, but that's not a compliment I can give him. <laughs> <laughs> there was um, one of the regulars at my club was a guy called John Malta. And, uh, and 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 John Morta, uh was somebody that would always request that song, and uh, and he come up with this concept about fifteen years ago that he was going to start a a Facebook page to uh, to get that record to the number one at Christmas, and uh, oh. and he nailed that, and uh, so yeah, we're fiercely proud of him in Essex. He uh, yeah, that's he got great. raised to number one, and uh, yeah, and he was uh, and and still he's a regular at our club, and. Uh, didn't yeah. they then play it live on the BBC? Yeah. And then just did the lyrics of as, course. as per. And then the BBC like cut them off and they were like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But it's like, did you not listen to it? Yeah. Also, did you not listen to it? And then check that pro- they probably went, do you mind not swearing? And they went, well, no, we're obviously, I mean, listen to what the line is. Yeah. It's fuck you. I won't do what you tell me. We're not going to listen to what the BBC tell us to do. It's crazy. <laughs> But that was so exciting when that happened. I love that. Superb. Okay, track six. Ed, a favourite song from an artist from your home county, please. Home county. I read country. That's the problem. That's okay, Ed. You'll be probably... I need to just book county in massive letters because (laughs) you're probably about the 50th person to have said, oh, Oh, okay, country, so don't don't worry, mate. Oh, no, I mean, look, I can... To be honest, I'm going to double-check something. Uh, Sorry. Uh... What did you it's have diff- for country anyway? Incidentally, well, that's that's what I sent you. But um, let me let me just check something. Um, county's difficult, isn't it? Because I grew up in London, and there's less of a uh, there's less of a sort of county pride here. Okay, I wouldn't I wouldn't be like. Well, although I guess people are like, yeah, this is a London based band, uh, but I would never consider that as my county. Yeah, you'd always go okay. city or yeah. anything else, um, but I, I, I find yeah, I find that tricky. I, I basically saw country, so 
I picked the most British sounding and authentic thing I could muster, which is uh, London is the Reason by Gallows from their second album, Grey Britain. Because I think, I think it sounds so fucking British and it's so aggressive. And uh, that whole album, I think I listened to back to back at least once a month. Um, and it's their last album with Frank Carter. Uh, and I think they're Hart- I think they're Hertfordshire based. So I'm going to claim that as my county being as it is quite close to London and London's in the title of the song. Loose, but I'll let you have it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, as someone who's, who's not a, a metaler, when I first heard Gallows, I mean, I, I don't, I wouldn't even say they were metal. I, I guess they're kind of, they're, yeah, well, they're hard. Yeah. Punk, hardcore. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, but, fuck me like I, I hadn't seen anything like that for a long while i got the same yeah. goosebumps i got from rage like with, yes with, with, with I, that kind of ferocity yeah i totally agree because it's 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 totally authentic and you completely buy what they're doing and that whole album is oh it's just stunning that's in my top 10 albums of all time easily. really yeah i think it's just it's amazing there's so many good tracks on that and that's a, a beginning to end album they're so they're so rare those ones you can put on and never have to touch the skip button uh, and that, and that's one of those. And they were it's such an angry sounding band, and I I think genuinely angry. I mean, it sort of felt that lineup fell apart pretty soon after that. So yeah. But have, have you met Frank? I've never met Frank. I'm a huge fan of Frank, but he seems he seems lovely. He, I mean, I've seen Gallows a few times, <coughs> and and he was one of the most ferocious frontmen I've ever seen. And he'd done this podcast a, a, a year or so ago. He's the sweetest, most quietest loveliest guy i've ever spent time with he was so nice i mean he was just completely yeah just a really kind of soft character yeah then like you put him in front of a microphone and or a crowd and the ferocity is just limitless but i guess if you're getting if you're getting that much out on the stage right yeah you probably you probably need to be a bit quiet the rest of the time if you're (laughs) you're knocking it out the park every night no i never i don't think i ever saw i never saw that lineup which is a shame. Oh, really? You never saw him live, yeah. Frank? No, I've. I mean, I've seen Rattlesnakes since then, um, and I think they're a great band as well. They're obviously doing sort of weird the way his career went. That he did all that ferocious stuff with Gallows. Then he did that. Pure was it love. called Pure Pure Love? Which is completely different. And then the first Rattlesnakes album is quite similar to Gallows, and then they kind of introduced more of the Pure Love influences to it yeah. again. I just think he's quite. Um, he's a proper artist, I think. I think he makes real sort of artistic decisions and fuck everyone else's opinion on it, which I, I quite like. And I really like Rattlesnakes and I like what they're doing. Your final track, Ed, a song that many may not know and you would want them to hear. Easy. I, I talk about this band a lot um, to the extent that I think I'm quite boring about them. But I, I a lot of bands I like, I understand why they're not massive. <clears throat> like I can say, you know, all these metal bands, I can see why they're not everyone's cup of tea. I have no idea why Clutch aren't the biggest band in the world. Uh, I've seen them live so many times. I listen to their records every day and specifically the song Quick Death in Texas, which I think sums them up perfectly. It's funny. The riffs are amazing. The lyrics are incredible. I don't understand why it's not number one in every country in the world. And I mean that. I am so dedicated to this band. How did you discover Clutch? Uh, but back when I was getting into metal, I think when I get obsessed with things because, and I even remember walking home from school with my friend who was into metal, but he was one of that group who was like getting into new metal. And then he quite liked machine head as well. But I was just like trying to discover as many bands as possible. And I was like, you've got to check out this band clutch. And I found it might've even been on a CD on the cover of a magazine, uh, and it was from it's Pure Rock Fury. It was the album Pure Rock Fury, which I wouldn't even put in my top five Clutch albums now, but it's still 10 out of 10. Um, and I remember talking to him about about that about that song, um, just because I quite like the sort of like, they, the almost country swing to some of their songs. Uh, and I enjoy country music as well. But it's proper, they're a proper Americana feeling band as well, as well as having some incredible like proper bluesy riffs. Uh, and I just think they've got so many influences, and but as well as just being a straight up brilliant rock and roll band and incredible live, and no, there's no messing around. Like I enjoy the pomp of Meatloaf. We've we've already discussed that, 
but clutch when you see clutch live it's like the roadies have walked on and then they've tested the the equipment and then they've just decided to carry on there's no like there's no like fuck the band are on it's like here's some men in t-shirts and they're playing amazing songs that's all they need if the songs are good enough that's all you need yeah Ed, we put together a Spotify playlist to accompany this podcast. So all of the tracks that um, you've chosen and the other tracks that we've spoken about, we'll throw on a, uh, a, a big playlist. And as we find ourselves coming to the end of uh, 2020, which has been an interesting year, uh, and looking towards 2021, what are you looking forward to, Ed, personally, and, and what's happening professionally? Oh man, I mean, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> you know, I'm really looking forward to God knows when it will be doing stand-up comedy and being able to tour. Because uh, I'd really like to get on with writing a new show, and it's really difficult to write a new stand-up show if you can't do stand-up gigs. Because no matter how long you've been doing it, you can't tell if something's funny until it's in front of an audience. Sure, I'd love to be able to sit down and write a new show now, back to back, hour and a half show type it all up on word and it's ready to go it just doesn't happen like that you need to do it's painstaking you do it five minutes at a time at at gigs so i'm looking forward to getting back into that process because i enjoy writing a new show and honing it um still doing lots of podcasts i'm probably gonna i'll probably start about three new podcasts in the next year (laughs) (laughs) do you really enjoy Um, podcasting is it something that's become like i love it because obviously off menu you know is ridiculously successful uh, we, we've been very. I mean, that was in, that was incredible how that took off. I've never been involved in anything that has taken off that quickly. It's kind of silly, um, but yeah, that's so that's so much fun to do. It's really really good, and I love working with James and the great Benito, our producer. Uh, so obviously, going to do more of those. Maybe do that live when we can. That might be fun to do a little tour of that. Uh, and music musically, I'm just looking forward to. I don't know who's the first band I'm going to get to see. That's the exciting thing. Like, what if when gigs come back, who's it going to be, and how drunk am I going to get? <laughs> and I was look. I know that music fans listen to this podcast, and this is a shameful admission, but I leave gigs early, and I still think I'd do that even in the first gig back from COVID. I think no matter how excited I am, I'll still leave two songs before the end to miss, miss the rush at the tube. I was about to uh, wrap things up here. Right, I can't leave that alone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> seriously what even like small gigs yeah yeah can't do it i can't do it i'll stand at the back and if i'm right near the front i'll sort of drift towards the back towards the end of the gig and then i'll nip out right before the end what if they've not played the song (laughs) if they've not played the song i'll wait but i i um but i rarely go to gigs where the song is the one that you always hear the song i don't i'm not bothered about hearing this song because I want to hear the other ones. Come on. No. <laughs> if they're saving like the encore, it's like, you know, the, 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 the three biggest sort of signature. You can't walk away then. I get no. it. I get it. It's like big outdoor gigs when you just think, oh, fuck me, there's going to be like 10,000 yeah. people rushing for the tube here. Small gigs. Shame <laughs> on you, Ed. Oh, come on. We all like an early <laughs> night. <laughs> Ed, thanks so much for your time, man. It's been a real pleasure talking records with you, mate. Cheers, man. It's been fun. There you go. That was a proper rock out. Um, thanks loads to uh, Ed for giving up his time to come and chat records with me. Um, thanks to you lot for listening. Really appreciate it. As mentioned at the beginning, um, if you enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to listen to some more, then go and have a look in the archives because, um, yeah, there's nearly 200 episodes, I think, now of uh, some amazing chats with some wonderful people. So go and get stuck in over there. You can follow us on all the social media platforms. So if you you like doing that then give us a follow a like a love a share a retweet or whatever else you know you can do over there and subscribe that's always really really helpful if you can subscribe then each week this just pops up on your listening device and uh, you haven't got to do anything just press play and enjoy and uh, and yeah and if you want to back the podcast and get behind it um you can support it via patreon as well and get access to loads of other shows there's probably 200 shows over there you can get stuck into where i play records and talk about them and stuff um you can find out about all of this stuff at com. thanks once more to ed thanks to you lot be excellent to each other and uh, and i'll see you next time bye bye i've got an announcement save our souls clothing 
www.sosclothing.co.uk. Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in Southend-on-Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track Podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. 